I don't know what um, pet sort of grumps you have, things that make you grumpy. One of the things that make me grumpy, and I've got a list, but I'm not going to go through the list, but one of the things that makes me grumpy is when I go on a website and it says, do you want to accept all cookies or do you want some? And I always want to say, I don't want yours, I'll decide. And then what really annoys me is when they show me all the things they're going to do for me. And, uh, and it's just irritating. I, just find, I know that they've got to do it, but I just find it irritating. And I find, do you know what I find irritating the most? Personalized ads. The idea that some algorithm somewhere is going to personalize an ad because I am white, male, middle-aged, um, and <laughs> in England, and read, and do this, and do the other. The idea that someone is going to categorize me. I hate that. I hate that. So I say no to personalized ads. I want to know what they would sell me if I was an 18-year-old. Um, and I guess we all get used to being categorized. What was that? <laughs> I guess we get used to being categorized. Most of our lives we've been categorized, either by gender or by psych- intellectually. You know, some of you were gifted and talented at school, and some of you were underachievers on the coloring in table. Some of you are introverts and you've kind of like done all those tests and some of you are extroverts and you've well you didn't need to do the test socially we've been categorized by lower class middle class or upper class by weight underweight average overweight (laughs) most of us post christmas by our race by our color it's all shorthand It's all shorthand to describe who we are. And it can be helpful, but there's a better way. And the better way should be in church. Well, you're not categorized according to a type, but you're known by a name. You're not just one of many, but you're known. By your name. Your name is kind of interesting because it was one of the things that you you had no say over. It was given to you. But your your first name is kind of interesting, isn't it? Like, well, what were your parents thinking? Some of you know this, but before I was born, my parents did toy with the idea of calling me Basil. I would never have taken a job in public. My my whole life would have been different. I'd have been a hermit somewhere. But the name your parents give you, what were they thinking? It's interesting because for some parents, it's like you can see who they admired. Who were the film stars of the day? Who were those that were in the news? What were their traditions? My family's tradition was that you were given, all of us on the male side were given two names and you were known by the second name. So my, my name is David Neil Hudson 
My formal name is David. And I made a mistake when I was 18 to tell the bank that, which was meant as never been able to cash a check without a hassle. <laughs> I went to Nationwide to cash a check for Neil Hudson. And the lady who serves me, I've known her for 20 years. She lived down Sumner Road, just down the, where we used to live, a few doors down. And she said, I can't cash this, Neil, uh, because your name's David. And I said, yeah, but you know me. And she said, I know I know you. And I know that you are this person, but we can't cash it because you're David. And I said, could I start open a new bank account in the name of Neil? She said, no, because we know you're David. It was like, <laughs> I felt like I was trapped in some sort of strange novel. And so your name tells you something about your traditions. Or in some cultures, your name says something about what they wanted for you. It makes you individual. And of course, your surname equally tells a family story. Your surname is about the ones you choose to be connected with. And for those of you for whom you got married and you changed your name, is kind of interesting to know the names you kept that were given to you and then but you kept them because you'd grown into that name names matter and a few years ago we as a church said that we wanted to be this sort of congregation a congregation that would pay amongst other things we would pay careful attention to one another, that we would pay careful attention to one another. Not about being nosy, not about prying, but that we would choose as a congregation to be a community of people who wouldn't assume that anonymity is the best thing. That we would choose to be a congregation that said, actually, if you join us, then we don't want to force you to do anything you feel uncomfortable with, but we want to know you. Because actually, to be known is not only important, but it's one of the ways that we begin to shape one another. And it starts with knowing our name. Knowing our name. It's really difficult, isn't it, sometimes when, you, when you, you, the name escapes you. If, I, if there's too much going on in my head, my head gets too bunged up and, I, and my memory card fails. So on Friday, I was with a bunch of people and we were, in a, 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 we were asked to go into a group of three to pray for one another, with other ministers, to pray for one another. And one of them, I, the name was just there, and the other one, who I know really well, the name just wasn't there. It was like I was, I was going through the alphabet, you know? <laughs> and so I did that thing that some of you know happens. You, you end up praying in a roundabout way for the person that it would just be easy if you'd said Simon. But now I have to, I, I didn't quite get to my brother in this, his part of the vineyard, but I was very close. Because <laughs> it matters when we pray for one another that you know my name because you're not some amorphous 
brother or sister. It's your name. A few weeks ago, um, we were in a meeting and, and Jimmy uh, was there with us and was telling a story about herself. And I've invited Jimmy to come and uh, share that story and share her reflections on that story with us. Morning, church. Yes, I am. Um, so, yeah, what, what isn't a name? Uh, say my name, even. Um, can I think it... So, um, I was born with that name, which is Ola Jumoke. It's a Nigerian name, um, and its meaning is wealth to be taken care of. Um, I haven't really asked my parents, to be fair, exactly how they landed on that name. But for my mind, they've prayed and fasted for nine months. And like God descended on them with this name. Or when I was born, they held me like, this is all I okay, so wealth to be taken care of. So that's my mindset of my name. Not exaggerated at all either. Um, but, you know, as believers, we know in the Bible, names are important. At the name of Jesus, every knee must bow, every tongue must confess we know in revelations um chapter two there's a bit where it is addressing the churches and it talks about there's a name i've given you that only you would know so it's quite names names for me really do matter having said that i'm not the best at remembering names faces i'll never forget but names need a bit of work the abbreviation my parents use is jumoke so that's um taking the ola off and just having the j-u-m-o-k-e so jumoke my mom will always forever call me that um, which is cool. Um, it's what it is. Um, but sometimes when people see my name in a formal setting, they'll suddenly just start calling me Ola. And I, I'm thinking, well, there's a, another sort of five or six letters in my name. Why are you calling me Ola? Now, Ola is a very common abbreviation for names that start with Ola. Um, but it's definitely sort of personal choice. So if you like to be called Ola, then fine. But I'm one of those ones who's not very keen on that abbreviation. So don't anyone ever call me Ola. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was just, I was chatting to my mom one day, probably about 15, maybe 15 years ago or thereabouts. And I was just saying, what a strange way my name is spelt. Like it, cause the, the, the way it's abbreviated, or it was abbreviated at that time was Jumi with an J-U-M-M-Y. I was like, it sounds like mummy. And I was like, telling my mom, I was like, why, why am I, why is it spelled like that? She said, it was the name that your teacher chose for you and I was like I was sad I was like broken I was like why why is my teacher teach treat um choosing abbreviation of my name for me how odd how weird and I had no clue so as I sort of pondered this um and this name now stuck and it was now my name because that was the name I was using in school and thereabouts and that was how it was spelt I just sort of think back to a conversation I probably would have had with my teacher certainly the me of today Maybe not the me of under 10, but certainly the me of today would have been, dear teacher, um, I hear you want to change my name. Why is that? Obviously, they'd give some sort of answer. Uh, you say you find my name too long to pronounce. Um, can you at least try and let me help you? After all, you managed to say names like Alexandria and double-barreled first names like Jonathan Nathaniel. Rolls off the tongue. 
Um, let me help you. Let me help you pronounce my name better. It's funny in, in registers all through school and uni, whenever they were saying, taking the register, oh, oh, I'm here. Like literally, I'm here. It's fine. Save yourself the trying to say my name. Um, you say you don't know how to pronounce my name, though I don't understand that because the letters are all English. Um, so why is that the case? I understand you want to call me Jumi, J-U-M-M-Y. No, thank you. Call me Olajimoke. So there's this really cool website. Um, it's Race Equality Matters, and they do a lot of work around things like, you know, learning to say people's name and um, the importance and significance of names. And I hear some people sometimes say, call me anything, I'll answer. And I think, okay, don't call me anything because I won't answer. Um, my name is really important to me now. This is how you say my name phonetically. So, o la ju mo ke. So when it's broken down and it's a phonetics, it actually seems a lot easier. So at the time, what I did when I heard that my teacher had given me my known as name, I did the only thing that I thought I could do at the time, which was just spell it a bit differently. So I went from Ola Jumoke to J-U-M-M-Y to J-U-M-I. And for me, that was me kind of taking a little bit of ownership back over what I'm called by people, over the name I'm known as. And it sufficed. Now, if I was to have that situation now, and I suppose it's always up to me, I can always do that any time, would I say everyone should call me Ola Jumoke or Jumoke? I'm, I'm okay with Jumi. I've, I've made my peace. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's the story of my name and how I came to be Jumi. Thank you. Jimmy's going to read for us in a moment or two. I think what was interesting for me was this sense of someone saying to someone else, I will choose what I will call you because it's easier for me. Whereas actually relationships are built on who are you? Will you tell me who you are and I will work really hard to know you. And I think one of the realities of a growing church is it's difficult to remember everybody's name. So ask. And let's be a church where we're not offended if someone says, so what's your name again? I can't believe they don't know my name. Ask. And ask unashamedly because I want to address you by your name. And secondly, if the name rolls off too quickly and you don't catch it, ask, can you just help me? Because I want to know you. Because if we don't know each other, then we become anonymous to one another. And then when you're with people that you've been with for 50 years and you go, do you know what? Your name's gone. I'm getting old. What? Who are you? <laughs> Janet. Oh, Janet. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that saved me a whole alphabet. <laughs> Scroll. We're going to read together from um, one of the shortest books of the New Testament. It's almost like a postcard. It's written because a slave or a household servant had left his owner, probably run away, met Paul, and Paul mediates for him. 
and tries to reestablish a relationship that had broken down. The slave was called Onesimus. The owner was called Philemon. We're going to spend five weeks looking at this book. Now, this may well feel like four weeks too many. (laughs) But we're going to spend five weeks looking at what's going on. Because I think what we've got in this book of the New Testament is a very interesting observation as to how do churches work when they have to deal with very common problems that actually could rip us apart if we're not careful. And we'll look at it through different ways and through different lenses, including the lens of slavery. But we'll spend some time. And each week, for the next few weeks, we're going to read the whole of Philemon. So at least you will know that book very well if you're with us for the whole of the five weeks. And Jimmy is going to read for us that book. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ. I'm faffing around here. Where am I? There. Amen. (laughs) Keep going. It is none other than... Yeah. No, I'm lost. It is none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. 
No, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you. So, you have a community who are being asked to help deal with an issue that could have just been about two people. Paul writes to the church and introduces himself. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. It's interesting that Paul, who had a number of names, one of which was Saul. Now, one of the things that sometimes people think is that Saul was renamed by Jesus on the Damascus Road. He wasn't. He always carried the name Saul. That was kind of like the name he would have used in a Jewish context, but he had this Roman name because he was a Roman citizen as well. And it's interesting that when Paul is involved in the mission of God, he uses his Roman name rather than his family name. He uses the Roman name because it opens doors. He uses the name that most is likely to get a hearing, Paul. And I'll talk more about this next week. But in a context where he wants to tell someone to do the right thing, he introduces himself as a prisoner. Not as an apostle, not as a leader, not as one who has the rights, not as one who's even led Philemon to the Lord, but I'm a prisoner. Paul and Timothy. Timothy, who had a Jewish mum and a Greek father, and who didn't get circumcised as a Jew, therefore, because his dad decided how uh, the household religion would be. But in time, Timothy would become a follower of Jesus because of Paul and then get circumcised later as, an, as a man. Paul, uh, Timothy, a man with dual ethnicities in his own life. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Philemon is a slave owner. He's one of the more prosperous people in um, Colossae at that time. To Apia, his our sister, probably Philemon's wife, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, the one who stood by Paul. These names crop up time and time again in Paul's writings. These are people who are known to him and are dear to him. And when he finishes the letter, he finishes with this roster of people, Epaphras, who's a fellow traveler in Paul's party. It's kind of interesting that any time Paul writes an epistle or a letter to his churches, he always has like a gang of people that he represents. Paul is no lone ranger. And one of the things that Paul hates is being left on his own. 
He needs people around him. Epaphras, Mark. Mark was a common name, but we think it's probable that Mark is the same Mark who had been with Paul and Barnabas, and then Mark deserted, said, I can't do this anymore. It's too difficult. I want to go home. And Paul and Barnabas fell out about him, and Barnabas wanted to give Mark a second chance, and Paul said, no, he let us down. And so Barnabas took Mark, but by the time this letter's been written, Mark's with Paul again, in his little gang. The guy who let him down gets a second chance. Aristarchus, another worker, travel companion, he comes from Greece, so he's from a different nationality again. Demas, well, what we know about Demas is that later he will backslide. He will leave the faith. And Luke, the historian and the doctor. All these people named All these people whose names alert us to their history. All of these people whose names give us a sense of who matters around here. And then there's two other names. There's Onesimus. Onesimus literally means useful. Now, Onesimus was a slave or a household servant, and he could simply have been given that name because of his being a slave. He's useful. You can imagine a slave auction when you go and you buy people who are going to work in your household. We've got useful. He's young. He's active. He's got initiative. Who will give me? And then whatever the going rate is for useful slaves. May not have been his name at birth at all, but he's known to us as useful And he's the one at the heart of the letter. What I want to say this morning is really simple, and it's this. Our temptation in church or in life is always to either make sure that the the picture we put to the rest of the world makes us look at our best, You ever had the situation where on Facebook or something similar, someone has painted a, a posted a picture of you, and you've got I can't believe they put that picture up. I look fat, or I just look stupid. I can't believe they put that picture up, and it's kind of like. And sometimes, you may well have said to them, "Please, can you take that picture down?" I and and the answer is, of course, well, you do actually look like that. Yeah, but I don't want to look like that. In my mind, I don't look like that. Yeah, no, but to the rest of us, and that conversation never ends well, does it? Because we want to present a side of ourselves that we've, we're not as crass to airbrush, but we might go through 30 pictures before we decide which one we want to put up. What's the picture we want to give to the world? Or we guard ourselves by not giving too much of ourselves away, because if you knew, if you knew what we're like, then maybe you wouldn't be as accepting. Or 
We have to choose to live through the frustration of getting to know people. You know the sort of shorthand thing, everybody's weird until you get, everybody's normal until you get to know them. Let me tell you that the more you get to know people, even the people in your pew right now, the more reason you will go to go, really? You are at your safest and you will think the best of people when all you say to them is, morning, had a good Christmas. You are at your safest at that point. Because everything else that you begin to know, you go, really, you think, you think that? You do that? Oh, I didn't know. And the challenge comes time and time again. Will you know me as I am and not as you think I am? Here in church, in the community, I'm not talking about church service, I'm talking about the community of the church, is a crucible for transformation. Is the possibility that actually our lives can be shaped in the way of Jesus. None of us are lone rangers. If Paul needed people around him, so do I. But in this church community, the questions are, can I be heard even if I'm not understood? Or even if I'm not agreed with? Is this a community of people that will allow me to be heard? Can I be known even if there's things that I know I need to change? But is this place a safe space in which I can be known? Is this a space where I can be given a chance? And if I mess up, can I come back like Mark did? You see, in the midst of all of these names of being known, there is one other name. Can you just pass, take me to that next last slide for me? And it's that phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's interesting because what happens in that little phrase is the Lord and Christ parallel each other. So Lord would have been the way that Greek and Roman people would have talked about the ones that they're going to be obedient to. And Christ would have been the phrase for Jews about the king who now is establishing a new world. So when you put Lord Christ together, it kind of almost for the whole of the world, this is who Jesus is now. And Jesus, the one who came and stood in our shoes and walked in our place. This is the name that you're called to get to know. Because this is a name that holds all these other names together. You see, if it's not about the Lord Jesus Christ, then we're just a goodwill community. And we will run out of energy, and we will run out of resource, and we will run out of love. But because we come together and say, actually, we all come on level ground to the Lord Jesus Christ... We've all messed up. We've all made dreadful mistakes. We've all thought unthinkable things. 
and yet all of us are forgiven. We've all wanted to be better than we actually are, and yet God, in his mercy, came through the cross and said, you, you, your name, you are welcome. And all of us want to say, Lord, we want to move on with you. And to each of us, the Spirit comes because of the cross and says to you, I'm doing a work in you, and it's unique to you, but it's part of a whole community. The Lord Jesus Christ holds all this together, holds us. So I don't need to be afraid of you. I don't need to worry that if you know me, that I might be rejected because the Lord Jesus Christ calls you and me together as brother and sister. I don't need to worry about what I might find if I get to know you because you don't need to answer to me. I'm not your judge. Together we come to Jesus and he's working out his purpose in both of our lives, all of our lives. So we can be generous with one another and we can be open and we can be open-hearted because it's about Jesus, the name, not only the name above all names, but the name that makes sense of all of our names in this place. It's why in a moment or two, we're going to take communion together. And as you come down the aisle... You'll be in front of someone and behind someone and you'll be shoulder to shoulder with someone. And it can feel like you're just doing it as an individual, but you're not. You're doing it as part of a whole. You're doing it with people who are there to support you, who will be there in the good times and the bad times. Because together we come to the one who makes sense of it all for us. So I suppose what am I saying? I want us to be a church that pay careful attention to one another. Not afraid. Not masked. Not putting our best side, but knowing that together we're Jesus' people, the one who came and died for us.